So we're up to the second half of chapter 2 of John's Gospel, and then we're going to go from uh, verse 13. Sue was absolutely brilliant last week, talking about the, the wedding in Cana of Galilee, depicting Jesus as the one who loves ordinary people, who wants to save them from shame and embarrassment, and who is absolutely lavish in his blessing. Absolutely brilliant. 30 gallon jars. How many times did they have to go to the well to fill those jars? And they kept bringing them back and sweating it. Anyway, here we go. This is uh, the second half of the chapter. Jesus in a different mood. It says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves, the money changers doing business. And when he made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple. The sheep and the oxen poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. I said to those who sold the doves, Take these things away. Don't make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then the disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up or consumed me. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show us since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. Will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, saw the signs which he did. Jesus didn't commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of men, for he knew what was in men. Um, just a few devotional thoughts about the temple, and I've called it three temples, because I think there are two temples explicitly spoken of in this passage, and one hint to that. I like subjects and I like themes, I think, as you know. Since the history, well, since the fall of man, God, in a wisdom that surpasses ours, uh, with a determination that we can't conceive of, has pressed forward to reconcile the flower of his creation to himself. He's wanted restoration. He's wanted that relationship to be restored. Adam, Adam, where are you? He knew where Adam was. Adam was now separate from him. His own holiness, his own purity... I mean, we, we can't conceive of these things mentally, but it, it caused him problems. He came in contact with someone who was doing something wrong in terms of establishing David's tent. And the guy died simply because, I mean, he was trying to do a good thing. So there's something about the holiness of God that we have to tread very carefully around. Um, and through history, through the history of the Old Testament, we see, we see the Lord, in, in some senses, edging closer um, in the time of Abraham, to just the odd, scattered altar that he made. Um, some of the ancient documents have us later on, uh, Moses talking about if you build an altar, if you, if you make an altar of earth or an altar of stones, and this is ancient, ancient historical manuscripts that talk about these things. But God is getting closer, um, making, a, making a way to meet with him, you know, back, back then. And as, as we go through, we see odd in, random encounters on mountains but he's still saying to the people look, beware lest any draw close to the mountain 
just don't come close because you'll die. Uh, and then we see the tent of meeting way outside there somewhere. We see, uh, see Moses and Joshua going out to the tent of meeting out there, outside the camp. Everybody else was still here, kind of looking, and Moses came out, face all aglow, and all that. And then, wonder of wonders, we got the tabernacle. And the tent of meeting was actually brought in within the camp of the people. So in a sense, and I'm anthropomorphizing here, I suppose, but it's coming closer. It's getting closer, you know, and, the, and he's in there. I mean, there are curtains, big curtains separating us, but he's here, in our midst. Um, and then we get the temple being built after that, you know, on a similar kind of layout. In between that, just for two, just for a couple of leaves in here, First Chronicles 15 and 16, we get the tents of David. But all the time, he's drawing close. Um, by the time we get to the New Testament, Herod's temple started in, I think, B.C. 19. I mean, it's already been 40-odd years, I think it says, doesn't it, in building. So it's an ornate and a lavish thing, this temple here. And Jesus comes into the temple. John has it at the start of his gospel. The synoptic gospels all have it at the end. So either um, John wasn't concerned about chronology, he was concerned about theology and about teaching. Or, and I think this is probably the case, my opinion, did it more than once. Oh no, we've just put it all right from last time he came up. <laughs> and he's here, he's coming up the road again. Oh no, nightmare. Oh no, he's making the whip, he's playing. Oh man! And uh, off he goes, turns the tables over. The money changes were terrible, the money changes. Um, all kinds of currency were in use at the time. Uh, but only Jewish currency was allowed in the temple. So out in the court of the Gentiles, they had to kind of bring their money, and it was swapped for Jewish currency at exorbitant rates of exchange. Absolutely horrific. Um, and Jesus didn't like that. But worse than that, he didn't like the fact that worship, true worship of God was being compromised. I know it's my one sermon, but the purity of worship was, I believe, at the heart of what Jesus was doing here. <coughs> Purifying worship. So, just a few thoughts about, about the temple. <coughs> Firstly, the temple purified, and uh, it wasn't finished this temple until AD 64. And the temple stood for, what did it stand for? It stood for sacrifice, it stood for restoration, it stood for the forgiveness of people. <coughs> And it stood for worship. And it's been that, it's been central to Jewish, um, all through the Old Testament, central to Jewish uh, activity, to how they lived. Just to go up to the temple uh, for, for various feasts. And Jesus was angry. We see him subdued, we see him doing things almost behind the scenes in the first half of the chapter, but here he's outspoken. And the reason is that zeal for God's house absolutely ate him up. It's not, it's not, the, not the bricks and mortar or whatever it was that they made the temple of. It wasn't that that ate him up. It was zeal for the house of God. What took place? The worship of God. The relationship that he, as the Son of God, as God the Son, had been engineering this restoration for all these years, hundreds of years. 
had it in his heart. I hear you getting close to the, um, to the accomplishment of that. Um, one of the things that, uh, uh, that the Synoptic Gospels say is in Mark's Gospel, it says that my house should be a house for all the nations to pray. Right, Mark is the only one who says that. But again, it hints that it's, it's like the court of the Gentiles, the Gentiles that he was concerned about. The Gentiles were coming into this place. All these stores were set up. The little clatter of music, the, the kind of the, that and the woo, and all, all the sound of the animals and all this stuff. And this is where the Gentiles had to pray. This is where they had to do their devotions, for goodness sake. And it's the devotions that he was concerned about. And so he said, right, well, I'm going to get all this lot out for a start. So, that, so the Gentiles, as well as you privileged lot, you can worship God. But uh, they knew what he was saying when he did that, because I'm sure you're, uh, you're familiar with the scripture in um, Malachi 3. That talk, in fact, I think we'll read that. Malachi chapter 3, that talks about <clears throat> what happens when, uh, when the Messiah turns up. Chapter 3, verse 1, 2, 3, it says... Behold, I send my messenger, he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. He is coming, says the Lord. Who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? He's like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, that they may offer to the Lord an offering of righteousness. This is what Jesus was doing. This is, the Jews absolutely soaked in the scriptures. They, they knew what, what he was saying here. I'm the Messiah. I'm doing it. I'm cleansing the temple. Um, so the temple purified was just the first thought. The second was the temple personified. Because they said, right, we want a sign then. You know, if, if you say you're the Messiah, show us some of the supernatural signs that, that denote that Messiahship. And he's just cryptically said, well, Okay, destroy, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. Scratching heads and... But the temple he was speaking of was his body. Because true purity of worship, true restoration was going to take place when his body had been destroyed and raised up after three days. It's the centre, it's the centre of history. It splits history. That event. Um, so he was talking about his body himself and uh, there was just something fantastic just about the end of the old order and we love the law we love the old covenant we love the portrait of the beauty of God through the old testament but there's something about the fact when he says now 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 something new is happening I'm doing a new thing the coming of the Messiah rendered the temple worship obsolete, is the way I put it in here. Because sacrifice, forgiveness, worship, restoration, these are all now centered in the person of Jesus Christ. So the temple purified, the temple personified, and then finally the temple prepared, and this is the one that's not explicitly spoken of, but I think you probably know where what I'm thinking about. The disciples, it said, they knew what was going on. The Pharisees knew what was going on. Everybody knew what was going on when Jesus was cleansing the temple. 
Um, he said, oh yeah. Quoted Psalm 69. Um, and they knew that these are messianic scriptures. They knew what he was saying. And he says that they believed the scriptures. Now here, early on in the gospel, two chapters into the gospel, he's teaching and he's drawing them into an understanding slowly, because as bad as me, you know, it takes a long time to get in. He was instructing and schooling them in New Covenant stuff, New Covenant theology. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? In this age, the temple is this. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit these days. Wow, what Jesus did meant that the Holy, holy just get an idea of that word, Spirit, chooses this for his temple. But also in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, they say, No, you know that ye, or do you not know that you are the temple of God? And it's a plural word. So this is now the temple. It's unseen except in beating hearts and voices and ordinary people and all different folks and that and the love and the body stuff and the family stuff and this is the temple of God. Do you not know that you lot, you, you all are the temple of God, the spirit of God dwells in you. Paul got it, obviously he was writing First Corinthians. Peter got it. Um, 1 Peter 2 says that we're being built, we are being built into a spiritual house. That's God's temple that's being built. We might declare the praises Still the same function, still the same point. Sacrifice in this temple is about preferring one another in love. Spiritual sacrifice. And also it says in uh, <clears throat> 1 Peter 2 to offer right sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices. So my <clears throat> challenge today is um, it's just to celebrate the fact that, that we are what he has chosen. To purify our worship, to think in terms of whatever else we're involved in, whatever else we do, whatever else we're called to, you know, to give our time to. Let there be time where our focus is him and nothing else. And Giles was speaking about the practice of his presence um, a couple of weeks ago. Just so struck home. Because I, I James spoke about it the but but as we get that right everything else will fall into place when we, when we go out from that place from the Mary of Bethany place of at his feet, no agenda no self interest just gazing upon the beauty of the Lord Isaiah 33, 17 Psalm 27 and our mission our family our service I believe we'll all fall into place. That's what I think. Mm -hmm. Amen.